recap of the last two weeks. What'd you think? Good. Let's do Monsignor Richter first. That help you. What was your favorite part of the talk? Something that stuck with you with the sermon of spirits. Why it's important. Why is it important? So, I mean, the idea that everything in the present, you know, there's this ongoing communication with the spiritual world. I just actually got this. Somebody forwarded me this. Uh, uh, I don't know what he, he's like a neurosurgeon from Harvard or something, and he had severe meningitis. Not meningitis. Does that sound right? Of the brain? Yeah. And uh, he went into a coma for seven days. And, like, they, they, you know, people are trying to say, like, he was just imagining things, but. Like the, there's a certain part of your brain that does the imagining. I don't know that I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but that was like shut off. They have scientific proof that that was shut off during this time. Like he was in low, low, low brain activity for these seven days, and he came when he came out of the coma. He's like, I know there's life after death, and he's and he he went on to explain, and then he put forward like nine possibilities from a neurosurgeon's point of view, because he is a neurosurgeon, of how this could not be true, and then he proved each of them wrong. So they, I mean, it was, it was really kind of cool that, you know, even, even that science is beginning to point towards this as well. But the fact is, is that as we live, and he even says this, he's like, this whole life is a preparation for the next. So that's why it's so important to love and to be loved in this life and to do it properly. That was his whole argument uh, when he came out of this coma. And so that, that God, so the angelic world and the demonic world are both speaking. They're both communicating to us, right? And they, neither of them, it's very important, and I'm sure Monsignor told you this, they can't force you to do anything, right? They can only just play on your, your passions, your imagination, all these things to kind of pull you in one way or the other, okay? What else from that talk? <clears throat> I don't know if I'll talk at once, but it's not make decisions during that desolation. Good. That should be the number one thing you learn from that talk. Never make decisions in desolation. Ever. It's a terrible, terrible idea. I think like the world would be in such a better place if if everybody I mean when do you like think about it, when do you make your worst decisions? When you feel like crap, when you're down, when you're spiritually dry, when, when everything's falling apart. Then you think you, you feel the pressure to do something. Good. What else? Applies to everyone. It applies to everyone. That's really important too. You know, like when you say Ignatius of Loyola, right? He's the founder of the Jesuits. Every order has different spiritualities. And you'd be like, oh well, the rules of the sermon don't apply to me. I don't subscribe like subscribe to that that spirituality because <laughs> this isn't Jesuit spirituality. This is these are the the rules for humanity. This is the way God and the demonic communicate to all of humanity. It doesn't matter if you're Jesuit, doesn't matter if you're Protestant, doesn't matter if you're an atheist. These apply universally to humanity. Good. Anything else? Give me one more. What do you mean by that? Um, just, I guess, like, knowing the difference between spiritual 
and spiritual desolation and non-spiritual desolation, right? So the idea like if I drink, you know, 12 beers and wake up in the morning and I feel like crap, that is not spiritual desolation. Okay, that is non-spiritual desolation. Same with consolation, you know, I might be, you know, like eating a steak down in Cancun, drinking Corona, and I'm like, man, God loves me. Well, I mean, God always loves you. It's just right now you feel really good about things, you know? So that you can, and that, that's something really important too, you know, like you can feel like crap and be in spiritual consolation. That's very important to, because spiritual consolation means, simply means you're moving towards what? God. And sometimes you might feel like crap when that's happening. And you could be in complete spiritual desolation and feel great. I think people at Bucks Broad Roadhouse are there all the time, right? I mean, like, there's, there's these movements back and forth and feelings. They, have, they, they, they factor into the equation, but they're not the end-all, be-all. Good. What about uh, Mr. Ruggles? He told me he brought Tamarind. I had no idea he was going to bring Tamarind. That's cool. What about that talk? What struck you from that talk? What's that? Good. I guess just like how driven he was to just, and how proud he was of his family. I think that was really absolutely. Special. Yeah, yeah. No, and you can tell. I mean, the guy's in love with his with his wife, with his kids. He he understands who he is. He understands what it means to be a man, and he's a driven man. <laughs> but he's driven for the right things, you know. Like we were talking about in the quiz, where it said they can a man can become driven, but he can be driven about all the wrong stuff. That's why virtue is so important because it kind of like tempers and, and, and gives you boundaries about how you need to act as a man. <clears throat> you know, I, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but especially the guys in here, maybe even the girls, like how many of you were like, man, I hope, you know, I hope I can, when I'm that age, I can, I can be like that, you know, for the women too. Because, I mean, they suffered a lot. I'm sure he told you the whole story. Did he tell you the whole story? Right? With him and his wife and, and the, her conversion and all this stuff. And, uh, but the thing is, is, like, we can't look at that and be like, man, that's great. Like, I hope I have that someday. And just let it be a hope. <laughs> like, you have to do concrete things in order for that to happen. It doesn't just happen magically. You know? I learned this the hard way. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but, like, like I'm, I'm really into try to stay in shape. I suck at it, but I, I like, I really try. And uh, I was, I remember one night I was up late and uh, I was watching infomercials. I love infomercials. <laughs> They're so fun to watch. And I've ordered so much stuff off of infomercials and been let down every time. <laughs> one time I ordered this, this is called the Sobakawa pillow. It was awesome on TV, but it was terrible. Like it was, they said it's made from all natural buckwheat husk. And like, yeah, and it's it, 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 so like in the, in the summer, you ever get in the summer where sometimes it's hot, you know, and you don't have air conditioning maybe, and you start sweating because on your pillow. Well, this thing said it like absorbs the moisture and then it expands and acts as a cooling system because it allows air through it. And I'm like, that is what I need. <laughs> so I ordered it and then uh, it came and it was, it was really like buckwheat husk. So like, I mean, any movement in your bed is like. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. I heard another one I ordered. The ab shocker. Did you guys, have you ever tried one of those? Oh my gosh. 
We ordered it in college because we were bored. <laughs> and it showed up. My buddy's like, hey, let me try it. So we like put it on him. And he's just like, ah, ah. <laughs> and I like keep turning it up. And he's just like, I mean, at one point he's like, take it off. He's like rolling around on the ground. We take it off. He's got like burn marks. Because what you're supposed to do is put this like gel or something on your skin so it absorbs electric shock or communicate I don't know but we like burned his whole ass <laughs> it was hilarious anyway um, but also another thing I ordered off of an infomercial <laughs> note to self don't order things off infomercial another thing I ordered was I don't know maybe you've heard of it the Aci berry looks like A-C-A-I A-C-A-I I think it's Aci that's the way you say it it's this uh, supposed to be the superfood and like as long as you take this pill like you can eat whatever you want. And so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Like, that's what I want. So I, or, I get, I'm, I'm like, yeah, or. So two bad things happened. Number one, I didn't realize like when you ordered it, because I, you know, I, I try to read the fine print, but when I'm really jacked up about something, I don't read the fine print. And uh, it said, you know, once you order this, we're just gonna keep sending it to you until you cancel the order. So like I got it, I got like three bottles and I start popping this pill and I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna lose so much weight. You know, and I'm like eating pizza, chicken wings, <laughs> drinking beer. And uh, I gained 10 pounds, it was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. And they just kept saying it. And finally I call them like, quit sending me these pills. <laughs> so I had like eight bottles of the A-side berry these pills anyway so point is out of all these stories there is no easy way there's no easy way to virtue and holiness we can't like sit back and just pretend when we see these good marriages when we see these good holy men and women like that they just they were born that way you know I mean a lot of them went through a lot of suffering a lot of pain a lot of wounds a lot of healing some went to counseling some I mean there's all types of stuff that has to go through, and either you can make those changes now, or you can suffer from it later on. Right? And that's that whole story, like I told you when I got sick on the lobster. I mean, you can do all this stuff now, but all those things are affecting you. They're turning you into a person, a certain type of person. And so there is no easy way, there is no pill you can take that makes you holy, unfortunately. I wish there was. I wish there was a pill you could take that just made you skinny. It doesn't work. I mean, like, how do you get skinny? You gotta work out. You gotta eat right. Like, there's no cutting. There's no like the, the newest thing that I'm on is, uh, and this is great. Uh, it's this thing called Ideal Protein, and basically it's this protein diet that you get on, and it works really well. But the amount of discipline you need, yeah, it's hard. Like, you have to be so disciplined in your eating, and it's been so good for me. Because like I have no discipline in my eating, so when I get on this, it's like 30, 40 days where you you can eat very little. Like your options are very limited. And like as I'm doing it, I'm not doing it. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna lose like 20 pounds. I'm doing it. I'm like, Lord, I'm doing this for you because it curbs my appetite. And you know what's great is then like when it's all over and you have like a, a steak and a glass of wine. And maybe an appetizer at Doritos. They taste so much better. Like everything, you're just like, oh, like bread? Oh, you would never, like people are like, oh, you got to do a bread fast on Good Friday. I'm like, yes! <laughs> I'm like, I haven't had bread for 40 days. You know, like this is awesome. I'm doing the complete opposite of Jesus. Jesus ate bread, you know, I eat nothing but protein. So 
there's these, it takes time, it takes discipline, it takes suffering. Like you gotta go through that stuff if you wanna be virtuous, if you want good and holy marriages, if you wanna be a good person, you gotta suffer. Okay, there are no shortcuts. What else did you learn from him? say no this has got to be the way it is I know a lot of people right now you know like they're you know people I've worked with and really been struggling and fighting to, to, to live well to, to live their faith all this stuff like if they're when they begin dating a person their first question is like are you Catholic no do you ever want to be no do you have any desire to live the Christian principles no then I don't want to date you I mean that should literally be your first question I mean I mean, there's a couple other questions that should go along with that, but that should be one of your first questions because this is, I mean, it's supposed to be that you guys are of one mind and one heart, right? That's what it says in Genesis. A, a man leaves his mother and father and gets, is united to his wife, and the two become one. So when you want to test your compatibility with a man or with a woman, right off on the onset, how much are you of one heart and one mind? And that's, and I mean in a good sense, <laughs> right? You gotta be in a good sense. Like we both like to drink, we like to sleep together. We like, oh man, we are totally compatible. We are one mind and one heart. <clears throat> no, a virtue of your faith, of your ideals, of your philosophy of life. How close are you two united? Because everywhere you're not united is going to be a death. And it's gonna be a painful death. And this is why I tell people all the time, you have got to surround yourself with good and holy influences. The people you hang out with are the people you're going to become. You know what? Reed Ruggles is one of my best friends. And I know I, with that guy, if there is ever anything where I'm getting off track, he will call me out. And I expect him to call me out. And if there's stuff I'm suffering with or he's suffering with, I feel like I can go to him and I can sit down and be like, look, man, I need to talk to you. I got this problem. Where he comes to me and says, I got this thing, I'm, it's an issue, I, I need your insight. Like, how many times do we do that? And when we do it, the people we're going to, do they really desire our good? Or are they functioning out of all their crazy wounds and all their mess? So find good and holy people, good influences that will be there for you, will help you, okay? Give me one more thing, then we'll move on. What do you think? What, what did you take away from that? What does that mean? <clears throat> Don't get caught up in the idea of it, I guess. Like the romantic, yeah. all that crap. It's, it's well, that's good crap. <laughs> no, I mean, that's real. It's good stuff. But that, that's, not why you should be, that's not why you should fall in love with the person. You should fall in love with who they are. 
right? And, and especially who they want to be. That's a big thing too, okay? Good, well I hope it was helpful. Um, I'm done traveling, so I'm back for the rest of the, the classes we have together. Um, had some good travels, but anyway. I wanna, I wanna, we, we finished with Jezebel, we were just beginning, and I put up this slide. Um, <clears throat> you know, I would say out of these, you know, 21, take away 10. As you're looking through it, what are the 10 that pop out to you the most, right? Remember we were talking about Jezebel, is Satan's woman. <laughs> I mean, she is the mirror of lies. So, this is a woman who's poised to grasp at the gift of God, disobedient, resists authority. Responds yes and no, duplicitous, right? So like, her yes is never yes, her no is never no. She can she changes at the drop of a dime, drop of a hat, maybe. Pride, false humility, false piety. So everything is fake in her life. Stubborn. <coughs> let me do it my way. You know, there's a, you remember that song uh, from Lord Lord? Is that right? What's the name of that song? Royals. What? Is it Royals? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's, she says, uh, you know, like, I'm not into diamond rings, I'm not into all this thing, but let me, like, be your queen, let me rule over you. You know, like, that's her, that's her, like, dream. She's never, she's never, she's, she's, she's got the point I'm never going to be rich, I'm never going to have all these things, it's kind of ironic, because she's a rock star. But then she says, I just want to, let me, let me live my dream of ruling over you. That's the spirit of Jezebel. The woman wants to rule over the man, Okay. Uh, mass true identity plays roles, right? She's one person for her teacher, she's one person for her father, she's one person for her boyfriend. Seeks to be seen, publicly admired. This will be in the whole dress code issue, right? The lack of any kind of decency. In fact, shows off parts, not person. Um, intimidates, inserts self, exclusive, exclusive, insists on his or her way, attacks, Cunning, calculated, she's always the victim, right? Driven by ego, fear, and falsehood. Extremely insecure. Disordered personality with extreme highs and extreme lows. She blows up all of a sudden. I've seen this. This is amazing to me. I think we talked about this already, but I've seen it with young women, especially when I was at the high school. I don't see it as much because I'm not involved as a university uh, as quite as much as I was as chaplain of the high school, but you would see groups of girls that they were like, they were friends, but they hated each other. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like, they were all nice to each other, but they were always backstabbing each other. That's the spirit of Jezebel, okay? Attached, prays for his or her way, goes ahead of the Lord, is impatient, distracts others away from God, right? So this is the one that's saying, you know, I, I, if, if somebody's having a conversion, they're trying to pull them back into their life of sin. Uh, inappropriate attachment to others, usually with men. Uh, but also with women, she likes to be kind of the queen, likes to rule over everybody. Uh, prefers to be noticed, important, associated with VIPs, sensual, seductive, eros, right? Has no concept of what true love is. Undermines authority, lustful, worldly heart, impure, lack of peace, no tranquility due to disordered heart and life. Okay? So you should know about 10 of these uh, in some way or some fashion. I will ask you about these on the test. Um, what does the spirit of Jezebel look like? I'm looking probably for about 10, 10 characteristics of what she looks like. <clears throat> That's why I told you you should know 10 of these at the beginning. That's code word for write them down. Write down 10 that jump out at you. Or take a picture with your cell phone. <laughs> That's another great idea. <clears throat>
what else I'm going to say about Jezebel, what you worthless students are taking notes when you should have taken them already. <clears throat> you can see all these traits, too. Remember the story of, of Jezebel reading from King, First Kings. And the thing is, it's like Jezebel must have been a hell of a woman. No pun intended there. Right? She must have been like a huge B word. Because Elijah, who is a strong man, he's a prophet. Right? I mean, this is the same guy that slit the throats of 450 men. Right? The prophets of Baal. This same Elijah that killed 450 false prophets, when he finds out that Jezebel is after him, does he stand his ground? No, he runs like hell. He runs 40 days. He runs all the way to Mount Sinai. That was his, like, I don't know, safe house. I'm going to the mountain of God. 40 days, 40 nights, he's on the move to get to, to, to Mount Sinai. He is so afraid of her. I mean, that gives you the idea of the power of this spirit. It's a wicked, wicked spirit, okay? All right, I'm moving on. <clears throat> In contrast to that is the Marian spirit attributes. Okay, you should also know around 10 of these. So if we have Jezebel as the... Satan's woman, we have the Blessed Virgin Mary is God's woman, right? Mirror of truth. She's poised to receive the gift of God. Obedience of faith. Responds yes to God. Humble, truthful piety. Docile, let it be done unto me. Right? I'm not going to get my own way. I want to do your will, not mine. Authentic, transparent, no mask. Prefers to be hidden. Simplicity. Kind, gentle, inviting, inclusive. Selfless servant. Edifies others. You know, like, and, and again, as I said, you know, Reed, really, Reed Ruggles is, is really a, you know, a true example of a man. Tamara is a hell of a woman. She is a, I should say, heck, heck of a woman. I mean, I have never seen, and she is, I don't know if you guys, if, she, if he mentioned this, she is a freak in intelligence. She's got her doctorate in pharmacology. I mean, she is crazy smart. She did these online classes they were supposed to take like a year. She did them all in six months with three kids and a job. I mean, she is really, really smart. But you would, you know, like, I'm not saying that she acts dumb or anything, but you wouldn't get that from her, that she's like this crazy smart person. You just pick up from her, like, just a real loving, caring spirit. Just because she is, she is mirroring truth. Of who she's, she's what woman should be. Right? She's got her weaknesses, her struggles, whatever. So does Reed, so do I, so do all of you. But do you have a clear focus, right? Pure of heart without lust, lust for power, driven by agape love. You know what agape is? Unconditional love. Right? The true woman is driven by unconditional love, not lust. <clears throat> Integrated personality without extremes. That's another thing, like I've seen in Tamara. She is so freaking balanced. You know, even Reed will fly off the handle when the kids are freaking out, and she's just so calm. You know? It's, it's really amazing to watch, watch her work. Uh, holy indifference, unattached, waits on the Lord, patient, attracts others to God, leaves people free without coercion. She's not making you do something. She's inviting, you know? That's what the woman does. <clears throat> Prefers silence. Sensible, not sensual. That's a hell of a one. Sensible, not sensual. Appreciates authentic authority. 
pure heart and sullied by the world, peaceful, tranquility of an ordered heart and life. I mean, when you look at these two, the differences between the mirror of the devil and the mirror of God, the mirror of lies and the mirror of truth, who do you want to be? Ladies, who do you want to be? I mean, maybe you do want to be the other one. I don't know. But if you think you're like, well, I want to be this, like this, this is inviting, this is beautiful. And by the way, this is not, you can sit back and, you know, some people would say like, this is, this is chauvinistic. Right? This is all about letting the man get his way. Letting the man be powerful. That's not true. I honestly think, you guys, that a woman has more power and more authentic power when she is living as she should live instead of trying to grasp, trying to make herself, assert herself into the relationship as the authoritarian figure. So who do you want to be? Okay, that's a question we need to ask. <clears throat> Good. I want. I just wanted to finish up with Jezebel. Now I want to move on to man's brokenness. Okay, we're going to talk about men for a while. Uh, I have a little section on men, and a little section on women. So right now we're going to start focusing on men <clears throat> and man's brokenness. Okay, it's important to know. Get rid of this. I think. <clears throat> It's important to know that men are inherently selfish. I mean, all, all of uh, humanity is inherently selfish, but men struggle with it a lot more, okay? And men tend towards cowardness. They tend to be cowards. You know, you want to piss a guy off, call him a coward. Like, that really angers a man. If it doesn't, you're a real wimp. Like, I mean, you have been completely emasculated. Like, if you want, I mean, men want to be men, but half the time they don't know what manhood is. And so a coward is what we're producing in this world right now. If you look, and the reason why I say cowardice is, and why we're prone to it, if you look at the story of Genesis, okay, what happens to Eve? This is your turn. You know the story of Genesis. We need to read it. If we don't need to read it. What do you mean what happens to her? Like, how is she made her? No, no, no. I mean, like, what happened to her after the creation? She eats an apple. She does not eat an apple. <laughs> she eats the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? It's not a freaking apple. <laughs> All right. Even that I would accept. I'm just thinking here an apple. Right? The fruit is what comes from making the choice, right? I mean, it's not like you say the fruit of my labor is an apple. It's money. The fruit of our sexual union is not an apple. It's a baby. Okay? The fruit of the knowledge tree of the of the knowledge from the tree of from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is knowing right and wrong and doing it for making that up for yourself. That's the fruit of it. So what happens to them right before she falls into this sin? Coerced by the devil. Now, be careful. Okay? Coercion means that you're forced to do something, right? She he, 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 he tempts. Okay? And he tempts through this knowledge of, you know, you can be like God. Which is funny because he's twisting the lie, right? They're already like God. It says in the book of Genesis that when he created them, he created them in his image and likeness. Likeness. Likeness God. Like God. 
So he's already twisting the truth. Now, the question is, is during this whole temptation of Eve, what is Adam doing? Standing right next to her. Watching the whole thing fall apart. So is he a man or is he a coward? He's a coward. The whole damn thing, and everybody's like, it's because of woman that we fell. <laughs> if it wasn't for the damn woman, they're still causing us to fall, right? <clears throat> it's the man. The man was not doing his job. He was not of one mind and one heart with his wife. He was not protecting her. He was not defending her. He was standing like a little baby, watching the whole thing go down and not doing anything. Watching women destroy, their, destroy herself and not doing anything about it. Right? I mean, yeah, I think you can fast forward, and I think we can say that about the general first world population. Men are standing, watching women destroy themselves. Or worse, helping them destroy themselves. So we are, we're prone to selfishness, we are prone to cowardness. But true masculinity, true masculinity is about the gift of self. And the death of self. For the beloved. True masculinity is about the gift of self and the death of self for the beloved. <clears throat> the problem is, is that I, I really believe this. I think the, the problem in the modern day and age is, you know, like, <clears throat> how many fatherless families are there? You know? Way too many. Because men are cowards. You know? Like, I'm all about having sex with my girlfriend until she's pregnant and I'm freaking out of here. Well, that sounds like a man. You know, like, wow. That's impressive. You know, they don't want to stand by, they don't want to take, like, they don't want to take on the, the consequences of their actions. And I believe that this, the reason is, is because they've had poor fathers or no fathers. Because remember, this is really important. Eldridge says this. He says, masculinity must be bestowed. It must be given. By other men. That's the important part. Masculinity can only be bestowed by other men. <clears throat> Again, you know, like, I speak reverently about this and, and, and with, all, with all understanding of, of you know, the, the craziness in the world surrounding this topic, but like homosexuality. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm positive that there is a direct, <clears throat> a direct correlation between the rise in homosexuality and the lack of fatherhood. You know, there's, there's boys that are being raised by their moms, and they have no man in their life. And all they desire is the love of a father, and they can't get that. And so they go to other men trying to find their, their identity because they can't get it from the woman. Or they just reserve themselves to getting their identity from the woman, which emasculates them and gives them feminine tendencies, which gets them beat up in high school, which gets them to, to, to move to the homosexual crowd. Because it's the only place they're welcome. I mean, the pain of these people has got to be insane. I, I mean, I, I think this lack of fatherhood is the, is the crisis in America right now. It's not the lack of mothers. I mean, women, you know, God bless them, the ones that choose life. You know, women are really in a, in a bind either way. They're really in a bind either way because they choose life, 
They raise the child with no father. <clears throat> you know, what is it, like 70% of the time. But if they choose death, if they choose abortion, then they got to deal with the consequences of that their whole life. So it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, that's why you say, I mean, like, I've, trust me, I've worked with women that are headed to the abortion clinic, trying to convince them not to do it, walking up to the clinic, pregnant, ready to kill their child, and saying to them, please don't do this. The effects of raising a child are nothing compared to the dis disastrous effects of what is going to come if you kill your own child. And they're like, you don't understand. I have no options. I have no family to support me. My parents said if I have the child, they're kicking me out of the house. I have no income. I'm not even in college yet. And the guy who was supposed to support me and love me is gone. What am I supposed to do? I mean, think of the pain of that situation. You know? It doesn't help to say, well, you got yourself here. It's not going to help anything. How are we going to fix it? The crisis of fatherhood is what is killing this nation right now. What young boys need is a dad. There's a certain point where the boy, right, you gotta kill the boy. This is my spiritual director, I say you gotta kill the boy. The boy has to die, and the man has to come to life. If you look, you know, I mean, there, there's a reason why for so many years, and even in third world countries, why they still have these rituals from boyhood to manhood. And, the, you know, the, the boy who's like 13, 14 years old, he goes out with all the guys. And they literally, like, put him through a trial. You know, they make him kill an animal. He skins it. He cooks it for the guys. Like, that's his trial. Like, he has to become part of the men. And they love it. Because that's what the boy is meant to do. He is meant to transfer from this nurturing mother. And here's another thing. Ladies, pay attention. The mom has to let go. That's a huge thing. It is so hard for women to let go. But they have to let go of the son and let the father become the man. Doesn't mean that they're like, okay, I'm never going to see you again. You know? But there's this point, you watch it, little boys, like they love their moms and they always go to their moms. But there comes this point when they want to be with dad. And mom has to let that happen. You know, like, I, I've seen it with Reed, but even more so, Jerome Richter, who's a, he's the Vice President of Academic Affairs here. He's a good friend of mine. We worked at St. Mary's together. And kind of just seeing how he raises his kids, there's a good example. You know, like, the little kids, so his brother has a farm. And, like, the, the highlight of the kids' like, whole life is to go to the farm. <clears throat> like, so they can go stomp around and poop and, you know, throw stuff at each other and shoot guns and... Even, even the young girl wants to go. <laughs> there comes a point, like, he'll come home and he's like, all right, we're going to the farm. And the kids are like, yeah. And he's like, no, only Adam's coming with me. Adam's the oldest. Let's go. And that, you know, for Adam, he's like, hell yeah. <laughs> What's up? I'm going with that. You know, and like, there comes a point when you should see him, like, every, you know, now he's, he's old enough to hunt, but every hunting season. Dad, can I please come with you? Can I please come with you? He's like, not this year. You're not old enough yet. You're almost a man, Adam. He said, next year we're going to take you out deer hunting. You know, and he sends up. Last year they sent out a picture. He shot his first doe. You know, and he's standing. You know, like, I don't know if you're deer hunting, but when you deer hunt, you get behind and you hold the antlers, you know? So he's holding the ears. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, like, and, and every, he sent out this, you know, Jerry sent out this huge text to everybody. Adam's first deer. And, like, 
all of us, you know, we know what he's about. We know what he's doing. So we're right back. We're like, well done, Adam. You're a man. You know, like, writing, like, you're the best. You, you know, that's a huge deal. You're going to get a bigger one next year. And the kid is, like, jacked up. He got a rifle. Jerry got him a rifle before he could even shoot a rifle. Three years before he could even hunt with it. And every time he said, he's like, Father, I want you to come over. Because I didn't have a gun. He's like, I want you to come over and ask Adam if you can use his rifle. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because it's going to do a lot for him as a, as, a, as a man. I'm like, fine. So I came over. I'm like, Adam, I need to talk to you. And he just, so he's like, what do you want to talk about, Father? I was like, sit down at the table. And I'm like, Jerry, I was like, you, I was like Adam and I just need some time. No, you should have seen this kid's like. <laughs> it was beautiful to watch. And I'm like, I'm like, Adam, you know what? You know, I'm not I'm not much of a hunter. I, I just got my hunter safety. And he's like, yeah, I did too. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and I'm like, but I, but I don't have a gun. And I was really hoping like that you'd let me use yours. And he's like, oh, he's like, Father, you can use it whenever you want. He's like, that my gun is your gun. You know, and it was like this moment for the, when he was so proud, like you got a grown man in front of you, 30 years old, and I'm like, and I'm asking a 12 year old <laughs> to let me use his gun. You know what that does to a boy? Like, frick, men want to use my gun. And then on top of it, it's a priest. You know, and I mean, and, and Jerry makes sure that all the kids have like, I mean, same with Reed, it's hilarious. Whenever I walk into the house, they're like, I'm like, how are you guys doing? The kids are like, ah. You know, and Reed's like, boys, shake their hand, shake his hand. And they all come up one by one. <laughs> and it's great, you know? Like, it, you're, he, they're, they're cultivating masculinity in these guys. But if you don't have a father, you can't, a, a woman can't bestow masculinity on a man. And if your dad never did that for you, that you have to find masculinity in good men now. Because your dad in some way failed you. And it's okay. Because a lot of dads are failing. And, and the reason a lot of dads are failing is because they never had it bestowed on them. And so they're bumbling, fumbling around, trying to figure out what it means to be a man and handing it on to their kids. I remember this story, Matt Fradd, I don't know if you ever heard him, he's a, he's a, a chastity speaker, and he said when he first encountered pornography, he was, he was like 12 years old. Right? And he found this, he's, he's like, I was playing hide and seek and I went into the neighbor's garage and like hid in this chest. And he got in the chest, there, was, there were like all these pornos. And he's like, oh, hello. <laughs> he's like, nice to meet you. He's like, but I didn't even know what to do with it. Like I was, he's like, I felt this sense of awe and like, and beauty, but like something was wrong with it. But he said, but anyway, he's like, I kept it. <laughs> and he's like, and, and I had, when I got home, I'm like, okay, where am I going to put it? I can't, I can't. Can't hide it under my bed. Dad will find it. So he pulls out his drawer, his bottom drawer, and then he puts the magazines. There's that little space between the floor and puts all the magazines in it and closes it up. <clears throat> well, then, like, I don't know, a week goes by and his dad decides he's going to move the dresser and do carpet cleaning in his, his boy's room. So Matt, little, little Matt, finds out about this, and he's like, oh, man. Like, he's like, I'm screwed. And his dad comes out after cleaning the carpet, and he's like, hey, uh, son, yeah, nice, uh, nice collection of Playboys and penthouses. Don't let your mom find them. And he winks at it. You know, and Matt, Matt Frad's like, look, I know my dad was probably thinking like, he's already got enough shame. I don't want him, you know, to feel like uh, an idiot. And and you know, there is something masculine about women. And at least he's looking at women. <laughs> you know, you know, like so he didn't know what to do. And so on that, so what does he do? He affirms the sin. 
how are you gonna how are you gonna parent? How are you gonna be a father? How are you gonna bestow masculinity on your kids? Okay. That, another thing I want you to write down. This is so important. Femininity, femininity can never bestow masculinity. Femininity can never bestow masculinity. <clears throat> okay. I want to just, uh, I found this absolutely, uh, incredibly interesting. So, it was, um, there's an article, his name is Paul Copan. Uh, he illustrates how the father's presence or absence of the father quality affects belief or disbelief in God. And he goes through, and he says, Let, let's look at some of these people from history and their, how they were raised. Voltaire, this biting critic of religion, though not an atheist, strongly rejected his father and rejected his birth name, which was his father's name. David Hume, the father of a Scottish skeptic, died when Hume was only two years old. Hume's biographers mentioned no relatives or family friends who could have served as father figure. Now these guys, the, the people I'm going to list here are all the crazy ass modern philosophers that come up with these just insane philosophies, and they're all one of the, one of the, the direct co like correlation between them all is the absence of God in all of them. Okay, it's really incredible. Ludwig Feuerbach, at age 13, his father let his family left his family and took up living with another woman in a different town. Karl Marx. Marx's father, a Jew, converted to being a Lutheran under pressure, not out of any religious conviction. Mar Marx, therefore, disrespected and hated his father. Friedrich Nietzsche, who went crazy. He was four years old when he lost his father. Sigmund Freud, his father Jacob was a great disappointment to him. His father was passive and weak. Freud also mentioned that his father was a sexual pervert and that his children suffered for it. Guess what happened to Sigmund Freud? He was probably sexually abused. Bertrand Russell, raging atheist. His father died when he was four years old. John Paul Sartre, the famous existentialist. Father died when he was born. Uh, I mean, Daniel Dennett, <clears throat> he's still alive. He was born in 1942. His father died when he was five years old and, he had, and had little influence on Dennett. Christopher Hitchens, the great, I mean, he just died of throat cancer, but he was like a, just a militant atheist. His father, who he labeled the commander, was a good man, according to Hitchens, but he and Hitchens didn't ever converse. Once having a respectful distance, their relation took, took on coolness and occasional, with an occasional thaw, Hitchens wrote. I am rather barren of paternal recollections, he said. Richard Dawkins, you know, the God delusion, the, another just militant atheist of the modern day and age. Though encouraged by his parents to study science, he mentions being molested as a kid. No insignificant event, thought Dawkins. He dismisses it as merely embarrassing. I mean, and, and, and the list just keeps going. But you guys, I, I hope you're seeing, like, I don't think this is just a chance thing. If you have no influence of a father, you don't have masculinity, and you don't, you don't have an understanding of who God is. God, I mean, there's a reason Jesus calls God his father. You need a solid father figure to even begin to understand who God is. And when we lose masculinity, we lose fatherhood, we lose a lot, almost damn near everything. 
As I said, you know, I said earlier in the class, I was kind of beating up on the ladies. I, I honestly think, like, if we don't regain fatherhood, we're done. <clears throat> if you look, you know, like, I, I, there's, there's a guy I'm a friend with, and his dad, okay, his dad was like, he was a Marine. He was in the, the Chosen Reservoir battle of the Korean War. And I don't know if you know that story, but the, tro the Chosen Reservoir was like an ambush on American military. And there were only a handful of men that, that survived. Like, there were so many that died. And this guy, he's, he's, he survived it. They were called, you know, play on words, they were called the Chosen Few. This was the Chosen Reservoir, the Chosen Few. And he should have died. What happened was, is he was laying and he was shooting next to all of his buddies as, like, like the Korean military was just pouring. They had, from all directions. And all of a sudden, a concussion grenade went off and knocked him out. He said 12 hours later, he woke up laying in a pool of blood. And it was all of his buddies that had been shot. All the blood was just in the trench. And he was laying in his friend's blood. Okay, this dude, <laughs> this, was, this was like a man who had suffered, who knew the, the, the terrible tragedy of war. And he was really hard on his kids. But he was a good man. Like, he would, he would be hard on his kids, but he would also teach them. And now, like, his son is a good man. He really is. But at times, he, he gets so driven by his work that he forgets, you know, that he has to be a father. And his kids, you know, and some, some, some of the kids are really struggling. And this is, you know, I'd like to say, like, this is a one-time example. But guess what? Like, this is the, this is the norm. You know how many parents come to me and they're like, you have got to help my son or daughter. I had one, it was so bizarre to me. They had found out he was 14 years old and they found out that he's sleeping with his girlfriend. She, the, the mom called me and said, we need you to talk to our son about why he shouldn't have sex before marriage. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, you you know about it. You're good. You know, you're a good speaker, and you should you should talk to him. I bet you could convince him. I'm like, what about his dad? <laughs> no, no, no. He can't. He can't do it. He wouldn't be good at it. What about you? What about both of you sitting down together and parenting? How about that? No, no, no. You need to do it. I said, I'm not talking to your kid. If he doesn't respect you, what the hell? He's not going to respect me. You guys have got a parent. You need the damn dad to get up and stand his ground and be a man and teach his, teach his son what it means to respect women. It's the crisis of fatherhood, man. Men are broken right now. So where does a man go for his sense of validation? Where does he try to find his identity? What would you guys say? Work. That's a good one. Okay. What else? Sports. Huh? Sports. Sports. Good. Women. Women. Good. Hmm? Money. Money. Good. Why aren't all the women saying these things? Come on, fellas. Stand up for yourself. What? Possessions. Possessions. Very good. Right? Because a man is about, you know, like, I got to assert my power. Because a man has this kind of drive for power. And one of the ways you assert your power is through your stuff. I have more stuff than you do. So yeah, I think that's where, and, and probably the deadliest place he goes, you, you should know this, the deadliest place he goes for his identity is to the woman. 
is the single most deadly place he goes for his identity. I think like most men think the, the image of what it means to be really a man is to like win the beauty. You know, like I have the most beautiful girl and she's mine. Like that is his identity. Look at her. Or worse, this is how many women I've been with. Look at what a man I am. Right? As if he's more of an animal trying to like you know, I always, I always get that, you know, like, we, we always, you know, animals are the ones that have, like, you know, if you, if you again, deer hunting, uh, you know, like, I shot this huge buck two years ago, and he had, like, 15 does with him, you know? I mean, he was king of, of that area, and he had all the women with him. I mean, like, and I was, like, as I was looking at him before I shot him clean through the throat, I, <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was like, you damn polygamist. <laughs> but uh, no, but I sat back and I'm like, man, this is, this is a lot like, you know, kind of the worldly definition of what it means to be a man. Look at my women. I mean, if you don't believe me, look at like, like music videos. You know, what is it most of the time? And especially with guys. What are guy music videos? Like, it's like, especially rap. <laughs> you know, I don't want to pick on rap or Florida Georgia Line, one of the two, right? <laughs> But their music videos are just like, it's women just drunk or dancing provocatively and like humping the guy's leg. It's all about like these guys are like, look at how much money I have, you know, showing their chains. And then they got like three girls and they're sitting in a hot tub with them. You know, that's, that's masculinity. That's the identity that they've taken on. Like to be a man is to have a lot of money a lot of power, a lot of people looking at you, and a lot of women. You know, and if that's what masculinity is, frick, man. We're in for some trouble. And ladies, you especially are in for some trouble. I remember I was in Guatemala, and uh, we got on this bus, and for some reason, I think the guy was a drug dealer, the bus driver, because you can't buy stuff like this guy had unless you deal drugs. Cause he had like leather seats on his bus. Like this is the most plush bus we'd ever been on. He had like grease back hair, you know, leather jacket. I'm like, this guy's a. Anyway. Uh, and he had this TV playing, and the whole time the TV was playing was playing music videos. That's it, American music videos down in Guatemala. And like I get on the bus and everybody's watching the TV, and this one girl's like, oh, I love this video, and it's this pit bull video. And like all it is is half naked women like shaking their ass. And then, you know, Pitbull's doing this, like, like, that's his dance, you know, the whole... I'm like, I'm like, really? What do you like about this video? Is it the fact that women are being objectified? Or is it the fact that one man looks like he's using about 15 women all at once? Is that what you like best about it? You know, and she almost starts crying, because I'm just, like, hammering these things at her. You know, I'm like, what do you like best about it? <laughs> but anyway, I mean, that, that's, but that's what it is. And, like, people watch these, and then, remember we were talking at the beginning of class, you start... You start mirroring the media. So women start acting like that. They go to parties, they get really drunk, they take off their clothes, they dance on tables, they do all types of crazy stuff. You know? And, 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 and in the end, what, what are we doing? What are, what are the men doing? Are any men standing up and being like, come on, knock that off? Could you imagine if you did that? 
Huh? No, I mean, everybody be like, what the hell is the matter with Because you're trying to be a man, because you're trying to protect a woman. That that's frowned upon. So don't tell me that masculinity has an identity that's good right now. When a woman is about to be used, men cheer the other man on. They don't stop him. That's what we're building as our identities. That's what men are doing right now to build their identities. Okay? And again, I'm making a, a broad sweeping generalization of the sinful part of humanity. I'm just saying, all I know is, is if you look in the chapel right now, there's not a whole lot of men. Okay? That's why I'm basing all of my stuff on this. If our chapels are filled to the overflowing, I would maybe speak differently. But they want to win the beauty, and so that becomes a thing. And that's why, yeah. We'll get to that when we talk about the feminine heart. <clears throat> We're talking about men right now. <laughs> it's coming though, don't worry. <clears throat> but I, when Eldridge uses this golden-haired woman, like I think I, when I read that, I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, this is genius. Because I work with a lot of people and I've seen this tendency over and over and over. And if it doesn't work in college, it sure as hell ain't gonna work later on in life. You know? I have a, a buddy in a different diocese, he's a canon lawyer, and the canon lawyer is always out to deal with annulments, you know, so divorces and annulments. And he says about, I'd, about, he'd say, I'd say about 75% of people are in annulments because they just want to have sex again. It has nothing to do with their previous marriage, and if it was a real marriage, they just want to get married and have sex again. And he's like, annulments are kind of like musical beds. And I'm like, what? He's like, you know, like musical chairs. It's like musical bets. Everybody's trying to get back into bed, right? And the one, they don't want to be the one that's kicked out of bed. Because, and if you think about it, like, look right now, you know, like, think about all the commercials for Cialis and Viagra and all this. You know, like, what the hell? I mean, I, I think God put into nature a certain point where we would actually be in love with a woman, and, and we, would, we would have transcended that point of the sexual act. You know, the woman's body begins to shut down at a certain point. And it becomes very difficult for her to have sex. And the man's body also shuts down. And it becomes very difficult for him to have sex. And somehow we've created pills that can give you an erection at like 80 years old. And other stuff that makes it pleasurable yet again for women. Why? Because nobody has any love. So they're all searching. They're all just bouncing from person to person just trying to feel loved. And the sexual act makes them feel loved. And we have a serious crisis on our hands. People are like, the crisis is in the church. There's a lack of priests. There's no priests. We're running out of priests. I'm like, screw that. We're running out of good married couples. Priests are actually doing well. I mean, we're on a rise now because we went through our hell. We got it all cleansed and cleaned out. And now we're on a rise because we understand what priesthood really is. But marriage is just beginning to get into the throes of the nightmare. So the golden-haired woman, it just doesn't work. I, I love this, though. He says, every man remembers Eve. We think that if we can find her, the original Eve, that we can reclaim our original masculinity. <clears throat> so if we can just find the perfect woman, Eve herself, which she doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> that we would find our masculinity. 
And so men go from women to woman to woman to woman to woman to woman, trying to find their identity, and they can't because women can't bestow masculine. Okay? I want you to write this down. All of this is a deep lie wedded to a deep truth. All this brokenness of masculinity, crisis of masculinity, it is a deep lie wedded to a deep truth. <clears throat> and that's why it's so effective with the devil. <clears throat> and it's this. Eve is the most beautiful creation. Eve is the most beautiful creation. She is the greatest thing God created. But she is not even close. to everything you need, everything the man needs. <clears throat> Eve is the most beautiful creation. She is the greatest thing God created, but she is not even close to everything that a man needs. And then I love this line, and it's a quote it, you should write it down, because it, 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 it taps into something very, very powerful and a huge problem in our society. He said, the naked woman's body is a portion of eternity. The naked woman's body is a portion of eternity too great for the eye of man. <clears throat> the naked woman's body is a portion of eternity too great for the eye of man. Now, I have a gift to give to you. Uh, I want you to listen to it. If it helps you, praise God. If it doesn't, you need to give it to somebody that you know is struggling with pornography. Okay? This is a CD by Jason Everett. It's one of the finest talks I've ever heard on pornography. <clears throat> the evils of it. Uh, the struggle that men have with it, and women, right? This is obviously more of a masculine thing than it is of a feminine thing, but uh, both men and women, and women right now are on the rise. Who knows why? I want you to write a one-page uh, kind of reflection on what you think of this. Again, like I said, if you don't struggle with this, that's fine. Listen to it because you can see what people that do struggle with go through. And maybe they don't think they struggle with anything. Maybe they don't think it's a big deal. <clears throat> but because I don't have the time to go into an in-depth talk on pornography, I want to give you something that's a little outside uh, kind of assistance but seriously, like it's a good time. I guarantee you're gonna you're gonna like it. You're gonna laugh. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's informative. It, like the the man I put on, I listened the whole way through without even didn't even realize like an hour went past. He's an incredible speaker. 
very, very charismatic. Uh, so yeah, please listen to this, write just a one-page reflection on the CD, what you think of it, how it affected you, whatever. Uh, this should be an easy paper. You should all get a, you know, a 10 out of 10 or 20 out of 20, whatever I give you. This is opinion-based. I can't. This is one where you can say, this, I feel like you can say that and I won't cross it out. Okay? Or I believe this, and that's okay, you can write that too. But please listen to it and hand these in. Next Tuesday, I'm going to have you hand in that paper. Uh, and again, like I said, right now, I think the numbers, the numbers are astonishing. Uh, and there isn't one man or one woman that is not out of reach of this sin. I think it is the, I, 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 just, I gave a talk last night and it came out. And sometimes like when stuff comes out of my mouth and I'm like, wow, that was good. That's usually God, right? Because I'm not smart enough to come up with those things. But I, did, I said at one point, I said, I think that this is the most accessible sin ever in the history of mankind. Because it's hidden it's anonymous, and it's everywhere. With just a click of a button, or a tap on a phone screen, like it is everywhere. And you have such a sexually saturated culture that it's, it seems like it's, a, it's okay. And so please listen to that, so if, if, if you don't struggle with it, or you know, give it to somebody that you know that maybe it'd be good for them. Just be like, hey man, just listen to this. It's great talk. I heard it. Maybe you, I thought maybe you might like it. You know? Maybe somebody's always spouting their mouth off about pornography and what's the big deal. Okay? Anyway, that's my gift to you. You're welcome. No problem. Uh, I want you to write this too. Femininity can arouse masculinity. That's important to know. Remember, it can't bestow it. Maybe you want to put that down. Femininity can arouse masculinity, but it can't bestow it. And this is why I think that pornography, especially for men, is so addictive. You know? Like, if you take that first, the naked woman's body is a portion of eternity too great for the eye of man. Okay? So when he sees the naked body, something comes alive in him. It arouses masculinity. But the problem is, is because it can't bestow masculinity, it leaves the man wanting. And so he goes back to it for validation again. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis, he said, uh, with pornography, he says, the man becomes, well, what's the word? The man becomes, I don't know, you, you know what a harem is? Like a harem is like a, it's a, it's a group of women that were ju they're just reserved for like a, a single man. So these were like kings in ancient Persia and all these things. They had these harem of women. So like he would just at night, he would just go to the harem and be like, uh, you tonight, uh, you, uh, you three, you four, you know? <clears throat> and they would just go. They were kind of like sexual slaves. And, and C.S. Lewis says, he says, with pornography, every man becomes a king with his own harem. Right? The woman is always validating the man in the pornographic film in spite of the use, in spite of the abuse, in spite of all this stuff. You know, and I think men inherently know when they see it, they're like, I mean, that's amazing, but that's just, that's just not right. Like, something's not right with that. Now, if you do it enough, you just shut that voice up. And you're just like, well, this is normal. This is what I do. You know, people get, I mean, they get, and that's how addictions start. 
But I don't think there's a single man on this planet who, who, I mean, obviously, all men have a desire for women. Right? And, and pornography is all of the pleasure with none of the pain. And so, ladies, especially, if you have, if you're dating a guy and he is watching pornography, either he either you need to sit down and be like, number one, you need to stop that, or we're not gonna date anymore. And number two, I realize it's gonna be a process to stop because you've been watching it for a long time, but I wanna help you with it. So I'm gonna be your accountability person. I'm gonna ask you about it. I'm gonna check your phone. I'm gonna check your computer. Because, and he's like, what the hell are you talking? He said, because I want you to be a man that knows how to love. A man that inherit just over and over and over again watches pornography. What are they learning to do? Use lust. Lust, use, yeah. I mean, they're not learning love. Pornography is the complete opposite of what love is, if you think about it. It is the complete subjugation of the woman for use and for pleasure, and that is all she is. If there isn't anything more, I don't think there's anything more demeaning to a woman. And the crazy part is that women put up with their husbands and their boyfriends watching this stuff. Psychologists encourage it. I had a priest buddy of mine. He said, now, now this, is, this is a way extreme case. I just, just <laughs> let me preface it with that. There was a guy who couldn't have sex with his wife without watching pornography. He had to have a film playing as he was having sex or he couldn't, he couldn't get aroused. Like that's what that type of behavior, of, I mean that's like the way, 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 way end result. <laughs> you, know, you know what another way, way, way end result is? You know Jeffrey Dahmer? Remember him? The crazy psychopath, serial killer, rapist. They did an interview with him, and he said it all started with Playboy. They asked me, like, how did you turn into this? Because he was a good, he was a decent man. And then just went completely berserker. And everybody's like, what happened? And he said, he is quoted in an interview, it all started with Playboy. And it just wasn't enough. So I went to the next thing, and it wasn't enough, and I went to the next thing, and it wasn't enough, and I went to the next thing. And, and even in relationships, he was expecting so much from the women because of what he had seen in the pornographic films, they could never deliver. And so he just went to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. You know? Like a classic example is like this Fifty Shades of Grey crap. You know, like what is his thing? It's this freaking sick fetish of pain. You know, and somehow like I, it became this blockbuster hit and book because I don't know. I guess. <laughs> I really don't know. Maybe because like he's like taking her on this crazy wild adventure, you know, which involves sexual objectification and use and lust. Like, I mean, what woman's heart doesn't just rejoice at that? Like, oh, I want that, you know? And it just went, kept going further and further. And finally he said it got to a point where the videos weren't doing it anymore. And so he started acting on it. And that's when he started raping and once he started raping, he realized that they spoke, he was going to jail, so he killed. And then he said it just became part of it. You know, when, we're watching, when, when you watch these films, it's, it's doing something to you. And I want to even, I even want to pr like press really hard on like softcore stuff, Maxim Magazine. You know, I'm going to give away one thing that Jason Everett says in that talk. He says, did you know that Maxim Magazine, at $20,000 a pop, makes women? 
They make women, digitally made women. So they, they, they take computer designers and they build a woman that is not real. And then they put her into the magazine. Like, what is that doing? Maxim Magazine, what is that doing for you as a man? You know, people are like, oh, the article's bull. That's crap. I mean, it's the pictures. It arouses something in a man. Okay? So I just, I just listen to this talk. I hope it does something for you. Again, if you don't struggle with it, give it to somebody who does, uh, does struggle with it. So, who bestows masculinity? Fathers bestow masculinity. And ultimately... God the Father bestows masculine. <clears throat> okay? This is what we call you are the beloved son of the Father, the beloved daughter of the Father. Your first and foremost, like, sort of masculinization is from God, then from your real father and your family. Okay? All right. I want to, uh, like I said, Matt Fred, I got a lot of respect for that guy. I, I kind of. Sort of known uh, him and I have back at when I was at St. Mary's, we hung out for a little bit, and, and I asked him. He has this talk that he gives, and I asked him if I could use a good chunk of it, and he said sure. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a little bit of his talk in this next section because he says he says let there's this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I think I've already read it to you, but I love this quote. He said C.S. Lewis says this: It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. God bless you. We are far too easily pleased. Okay. So a question I want to ask you Gentlemen and ladies, as I ask you these things, you can kind of. So the first question is, man, what kind of man? What kind of man do you want to be? You don't have to answer this question, ladies. I just want you to think about this. What kind of man do you want to marry? Okay. So what kind of man do you want to be, ladies? What kind of man do you want to marry? Second question, gentlemen, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to remember you? You know, it's interesting about this, like at funerals. Maybe I talked about this, but at funerals, everybody focuses on the good. You ever notice that? You know, they never talk about the bad things that the person did. They always focus on the good. Why? Because people want to re be remembered as good people. The other interesting thing about death is, is that when people are dying, they always focus on the bad they've done and regret the good that they didn't do. So the question is, gentlemen, what kind of man do you want to be, and how do you want to be remembered? Here's another question. Men, what kind of men do you respect? What kind of men do you respect? Ladies, you can answer that too. What kind of men do you respect? I think so often people are, are just searching for validation like crazy, both men and women, that they just they give up on all these things. They have these great desires, these great hopes, these great dreams, and they just let them come crashing down just for like popularity, friendship, and a good time. It's so much more than that, okay? There's a, there's a saint that I, I really appreciate, and uh, you know what? Let's take a break. It's 8 o'clock. There's a saint that I want to talk about. His name is St. Maximilian Colby, and some of you probably know his story, uh, but I, I want to I tell you his story 
Let's show you what a real man looks like. Okay, so take uh, it's eight o'clock. Let's be back at eight ten. Feeling generous tonight.